Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Keith Billick here with a freshly picked episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. And for those of you unfamiliar with that term, I do have some freshly picked episodes, which means I go over a recent banjo-centric recording, usually accompanied by an interview with the banjo player who played on it. So I have a great one for you today. And let me tell you, this one almost didn't happen. I am supposed to be packing uh, for my trip to IBMA as we speak. I leave in a matter of hours, but for me to actually be doing that would mean that I would have had to skip a podcast for this week. And I just couldn't do that to you folks. So here I am procrastinating and uh, burning the midnight oil, as they say, to get this podcast out and also get another opportunity to thank you, the listeners, for being uh, so supportive of the show. And of course, in particular, I mean the Patreon supporters of the show. And today's special featured Patreon supporter for this episode is Lynn DeFlippo. Lynn was first exposed to bluegrass because Bob and Danny Paisley would play at her family reunions. How about that? That's some good entertainment right there. And I think it planted the seed mighty early. So Lynn has begun her banjo journey as of a few years ago. And Lynn, I'm so glad to have you as a listener and as a Patreon supporter. For everybody else, go over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself. It really does help. And I truly appreciate it. Now back to the topic of the fact that I'm going down to IBMA. This is the International Bluegrass Music Association annual convention in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I will be down there in booth 532 with my good buddy Daniel Patrick from the Mandolins and Beer podcast. I'll be handing out stickers, selling those t-shirts, doing some interviews, and maybe even playing a little banjo if I'm lucky. So anyone who's making the trek, make sure you stop by and uh, say hey. For the rest of you, if you want to say hey, but you will not be in person at IBMA, you can always drop me a line at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Today's freshly picked episode looks at the brand new album, Just a Little Talk With Myself, by fantastic banjoist Stephen Moore. Now, if Stephen's name sounds familiar, it might be because you heard him in episode number 49, where we featured him in terms of his background in banjo playing and his playing style. You might also recognize his name from having won Winfield a bunch of times. Stephen is an extremely successful contest banjo player, has played in all sorts of different bands around, and this is his debut solo album. So it was great catching up with him and chatting about that. And you know what's even better? Stephen is offering his brand new album for absolutely free for Patreon supporters of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. So this is going to last through the end of the year of 2022. Anybody who's a Patreon supporter will get a message from me 
with uh, instructions to download this album for free. And uh, even if you're not currently a Patreon supporter, you can go sign up and still take advantage of uh, getting this really generous offer that Steven has offered. So again, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to check that out. And I hope you enjoyed this uh, preview and discussion of the brand new banjo featured album by Stephen Moore called Just a Little Talk with Myself. Stephen, welcome back to the show. It's great to see you. It's great to see you, Keith. Uh, so first of all, congrats on your recent uh, second place finish at Winfield, and that was very nice of you to finally let some other people win for a change. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, it's one of those things. It's a, it's a competition with yourself. So uh, I don't look at it as as anybody beat anybody. It's or you know I beat anybody. It just you know I think everybody goes there with the same intention, and that's to play what they've prepared in a nice clean run. <laughs> so it's definitely one of those deals. And did you feel good about your uh, performance with that in mind? Uh, I think my first round was pretty good. Uh, my second round, my first song was good. And then my second song, I definitely could have played cleaner. So I think that's uh, where some points may have been deducted. So. Yeah, probably doesn't take much to separate those those top three players, I imagine. Those are right. some it's, heavy competition. It, yeah, it's it's definitely about who's, who's playing clean. I mean, if... If the arrangement has, you know, zero difficulty, then I, I don't know that it will be rewarded as highly as one that's super difficult with a little bit of mistakes. But there's a balance there between difficulty yeah. and cleanliness. So it's like watching gymnastics at the Olympics or something like that. Exactly. A, the difficulty scale. Exactly. The all banjo Olympics. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Well, what we're actually here to talk about is your new album. And, and while we're in the congratulations portion of the show, congrats on releasing this new album. That's always like a huge, you know, albums are big projects and they, they take a lot of work and blood, sweat and tears. So congrats on getting this thing out. Into yeah, the world. thanks. It's, it's a long time coming. I've been wanting to do one since I was probably in my early 20s. I actually started recording while I was working on a friend's project in Nashville at Dark Horse Studios, and and my plan was I would just start the project and get some banjo tracks recorded, and then later come in and maybe use those files, maybe not, but at least I had some body of work in a in a format that I could go back and reference. You know, later I, I'd be oh yeah mm -hmm. I, I wrote this song I re I recorded I, oh I have that lick you know so <laughs> I had those files and uh, kept them for. For years, I'd gone down there. It must have been 2013 or so, 2012, 2013. I'd gone down there a few times and recorded, and and uh, I was I was glad that I did that because it it definitely kept a log of what I kind of had in mind for the album. So, yeah, and and some of those tunes are made it. I mean, I know probably not the exact tracks that you put down, but right. some of those tunes are are on this album. Yeah, several of those tunes, you know, are, are what I ended up recording. Um, none of that audio I ended up using, but it yeah, was nonetheless right. a good reference to have. So let's let's go ahead and like dig into the actual music that's on here. The the first track is called "A New Leaf." It's an original piece written by you. I think it's a great leadoff tune.
really singable melody, which brings me to my, I guess my initial observation and maybe one of my overall uh, observations about the album is that like a lot of a lot of contest players like yourself can get pigeonholed into being like show offy and flashy and just doing like really difficult licks all the time. And I think it's really cool that this first track goes against the grain and is just a really just fundamental sounding, like I said, singable melody. So I don't know. Am I am I overthinking that, no, or is no, that thanks. something I, that you really I, aim for? I appreciate that, and and it is something I think that I aim for. I think that the, uh, you know, when I when I listen to an album that I really like, I think of like Strength in Numbers, the Telluride Sessions. I don't think that there's any one person that outshines another, and it's kind of this this collective synergy that all the, all the sum of the parts is. All the parts together is greater than the sum of the individual parts, whatever that saying is. Yeah. So, I have that that sort of feeling about it. But the album did have to, I guess if it's a banjo album, it did have to feature the banjo some. So I kind of, I was torn in, you know, featuring the banjo a little bit because it is my debut solo album, but also wanting to feature all of the fine musicians on it. So Yeah, it sure does. And I mean, now, now that I've said that, you know what I said before. It's it's not short on like banjo show offy stuff. Like you get some good you get some good licks in there. That's for sure. But it's a good like down home kind of tune to start off with. So that that tune, if we want to get into the weeds on the banjo aspect of yeah. it, yeah, it's kind of a fun tuning. Um, and I, and I, I use this tuning sort of on three tracks. There's there's one that's just a modified version of it, but it's D C. Go ahead and tune to it now. F. So that tuning's D C F C F, and uh, oh wow, I found that tuning just one day messing around. I'm sure that an old time player somewhere or some other five string banjoist has found that tuning at one point. I don't know if it has a name. I just stumbled on it messing around, and and I liked it. So that's kind of. Nice F uh, open tuning almost, you know, it's you just got to fret that first string. Otherwise you have the, nine, the, the D in there. Yeah, that's so cool. But uh, midway through the song, this is where it gets kind of nerdy. I used a D tuner on the fourth string. I still have it on here from the session. So I have one peg that doesn't, doesn't match the others. Uh, midway through oh. the song, I had a detuner set to lock in a lower note, A. So going from C to A. So the song's got this. Then the motif. getting to the bridge just kind of sneak it in that tuning in there so oh yeah that's great and then tuning it up mid in the bridge had the tuner a little set a little <laughs> better in studio but yeah it bounces between those tunings throughout that bridge and I I don't play the note while I'm wow. tuning it. It's just sneaking it in so that now my band is getting that that nice low A. 
So yeah, so that's a fun tuning as well. Beautiful sound. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. So D C F C F and D C F A F A F. Right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about the other two songs. Shady Grove. I use this tuning. So for an F minor. I'm using the DCFCF tuning. And then on Song uh-huh. for Danny, I'm using the DCFAF tuning. So Interesting. Or actually Actually, I'm telling you wrong. I'm telling you wrong. I've been wrong this whole time. So the tuning's DCF B flat for that bridge. Oh. So let me let me reiterate that for your for your audience. So it's D C F C F D C F B flat F. That's that's correct. Okay. Uh, on song for Danny, I do take it a step further and go all the way down to A. All right. D C F A F. Sorry, that's why I had A in my mind, but I, I realized that that wasn't accurate. So, so song for Danny D C F A F. Hitting the B flat there on the first fret of that low A note. So it's in there. <laughs> it's a fun. And can. Do your normal strings work for that pretty well? Yeah, yeah. You could probably go with a thicker gauge if you wanted to, but I don't have any problems. I, I run mediums anyway. Right on. Um, I wonder if lights would maybe not resonate quite as well, but mediums work great. Seems seems to work, though. That's cool. That's that's sort of a fun fun thing for the banjo listeners. Yeah, for sure. Well, I was going to ask, I mean, uh, I guess one of my overall questions is how much improvisation is on this album? So um, I think at some point, like I just worked out what I was going to play behind the mics. I didn't necessarily have everything set how I was going to play it when I went into studio. Um, but for the for the moment of recording, I'd, I'd work it out and then play it if that makes any sense yeah like within within a few seconds of yeah i think i'll play it this way that happened on a few things (laughs) now there were there there were many other parts that were like yeah i had had set for a while that's how i want to play it like if you listen to all of me i play it pretty much the same way as as the music video i made of of me playing all of me yeah that's the next track let's just dive into that and i i actually don't feel like we need to cover this too much because we i think we discussed this one actually on the first time you we were did yeah so this on this was the, a on the show piano guy's song i heard it one late night in college and kind of forgot who did it and what it was called i probably should have remembered it was called all of me because the traditional jazz number all of me like anyway yeah. i i just thought man that would make a great banjo tune like why not try to play that on banjo and then Forgot about it. Took me a few months to find it again, but then, then when I did, I was like, "Oh yeah, I got to learn this." He plays it in C sharp, and I, I was like, "Nah, we're gonna make that double C." So <laughs> it's a little more banjo friendly. And it, except, you know, you you said it's the same arrangement as as your video, but the main exception is that you have a band playing with you. So it's now there's even a band backing it. So yeah, it's more to listen to, even though it's it's yeah. another element. So, but yeah, that's. You could tell I played it the exact same way on the banjo as the video. So yeah, 
So let's let's move on with the uh, so the title track. Just a little talk with myself, and this is we get to hear from your bandmate David Mayfield, who always gives like a really great, earnest kind of delivery. Yeah, uh, to his vocals. Yeah, I, I I tell David I think that that this track is is the best his voice has ever sounded. I've been giving it some thought, been mulling it over, wishing I could listen to the angel on my shoulder, but he's not there, or doesn't care, and trying to find him, I've been pulling out my hair, but I'll go, have a little talk with myself, I suppose, a few kind words might help. Then I'll know who I am when I go Have a little talk with myself Just a little talk with myself So I don't know if it was Scott's vocal chain. I know he has a nice manly microphone that he uses for his vocals down there at his studio. And I don't know what preamp he was going through, but man, you know, David's voice really, I think, shines on this one, even even more so than some of his other recordings. So Yeah, it definitely sounds great. Now, you and, you and he are listed as co-writers on this one, so I, I wouldn't mind hearing you talk a bit about the writing process that you and David went through for this and maybe like what type of message you intended with the, with the lyrics. So I uh, co-write, I guess, but I, I didn't write any of the lyrics. I was all David. I wrote the music. Okay. Uh, I was probably 15 and I come up with kind of just a real simple. flat so that's kind of really the, the essence of the song is is that is that um, banjo part? It, 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 you know, I guess just came to me. I was young. I was <laughs> just messing around. I was like, man, it'd be fun to like work something in that. I like that really uh, that sus two position. So in this case, you have the E flat and the, the F note, yeah. and then you have the nice open G string here on top. So that's that's kind of where that one started, and uh, I sat on it for years. I never recorded it, never really played it, and then uh, came time to do this album. I sent it to David probably about a month before it was time to record, maybe maybe a little bit more. I can't can't exactly remember, but I didn't hear what he came up with until the night before we recorded it in studio. So uh, oh wow, yeah we we so I went and got a hotel down there when I was staying uh, in Nashville for recording the album. And uh, David stayed with me, and we sh- we shared a room. And uh, he he went into the bathroom to practice it because he didn't want me to <laughs> hear it until he'd like <laughs> ironed it out himself. 
And then uh, he came back out, and I'm just sitting on you know one of the double beds and playing the banjo. And he sat down on the other bed and you know had his lyrics up and and sang it. And that's that's the first time I heard it, and I was like, oh man, I love it. Like didn't know what yeah that's what a- message he was gonna bring. Didn't didn't give him any cues. This was. That was all David's doing. So, oh, that's so. I cool. told him I, I love it a lot, and I want it to be the title track, and and it, it did. It became the title track, and I and I also have to credit David for for the the album cover art, which I'm sure is. Have you seen on on the interwebs? Yeah, it's at pretty this funny. Point, is yeah, I love is it. the uh, you know banjo psychiatrist? I'm laying in a chase lounge, got my hands thrown up in the air like I'm venting right. to my banjo for your listeners who yeah. haven't seen it. But I have to credit David with that idea as well. He was like, man, wouldn't it be funny if you were in like a leather chase lounge and your banjo was your psychiatrist giving you therapy? I'm like, oh my <laughs> goodness, that's perfect. Just a little talk with myself. It's Yeah, it all just works together perfectly. So he's, he's sure. a comedic genius. I have to give him that. That's a win. So, so when you sent him your chord progression and that pattern – that was with the intention that he was going to write lyrics with yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I sent him that. And okay. actually, I sent him uh, a new leaf as well. I was like, hey, you know, you might might want to throw lyrics on this one. And so he picked hmm. he picked the other one, the E-flat one. And he wrote lyrics to it. And uh, the other one became an instrumental, like fully instrumental. So, I mean, I think I described a new leaf as having a singable melody. So I can totally... yeah see why that might have made a, a good song and you know who knows maybe we'll someday also but <laughs> could be yeah let's keep moving on to another original the ride cool solos from everyone lot definitely a lot of banjo stuff going on that we can dig into do you care to share any specific tricks i can uh this one's pretty nerdy so as far as yeah. that second break anyway first break uh, i kept it pretty straight it's very in the bluegrass vein there's not a lot of like kind of traditional sounding banjo sounds on this album that's all kind of newer stuff so this one has more of those traditional elements more scruggsy so it's k-bed up to b pretty straight for the the first break second breaks where it gets fun i i just kind of made things up i didn't really have a whole lot in mind of what i was going to do that's kind of fun um i don't know if there's any specific technique to that it's kind of a single string kickoff the backward slide Trying to remember what I played next. I think I played. And then I stole. This is a Gnome Pekelny lick, unashamedly. Uh, yeah, this is a Gnome Pekelny lick, un- unashamedly stealing it from. Ah. I stole that from, uh, I believe, his 
song Overland from the In the Maze album. I don't know if you've listened to that one closely, oh, yeah, but for sure. But that that track has a lot of really tasty licks that are that are good for stealing. <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's the last track of that CD in the maze. It's one of my favorites. But yeah. It's totally a gnome lick, so yeah. Um, yeah, um, I know there's some like double picked segments in there that are yeah, that are really so cool. That That's one, something that I like doing too. And, and I guess my inspiration for yeah. that would have been kind of a Scott Vestal approach. Um, I don't know if I've specifically okay. heard him play that, but it just seemed like something he would have done. So that is fun. I, I really do like that that kind of a run. But yeah, it's just two notes on each one, uh, kind of just alternating thumb and index finger. So yeah, that's that's a really fun lick. I'm sure you could use it in many applications, put it in another song with a different scale behind it. And... Uh, your banjo player listeners might want to use that in the song that they're working on. So, and then there's some Scott Vestley triplets at the end of. Yeah. I remember what I played. <laughs> I actually had to, to listen to the album today <laughs> so I would remember exactly what I did on some of this um, when I when <laughs> that I talked sounded to you pretty today. close. So that's pretty close to what I did. Of course I played it a little bit cleaner. It's also kind of awkward the way I'm sitting here. Let me uh, let me adjust. Try to get that lick in there. <laughs> Still can. So it's in that vein. But yeah, that's that. That to me is a kind of a nod of the hat to uh, tip of the hat to Scott Vestal for sure. That so. that's very Vestally. Very Vestally. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so especially when you, although those top notes that you reach those are all going on the fifth string right that's kind of the, yeah, so the pattern there it is and then here that's on the first string oh see so yeah, that kind of four five one yeah yeah so that's that's on the first string those the top notes there Folks, we are in a golden age of online instrument instruction, and at the top of that world is Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation has streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, so you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots music. Check out the courses they have and this is just for banjo you could get beginning or bluegrass banjo with bill evans 
Clawhammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward-style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. Each of those courses include high-quality video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And the best thing yet is you're going to get your first month free just by being a listener of this show. So go to pegheadnation.com and use promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout and claim your free month of the best instruction out there. And if you find yourself needing a banjo or accessories to get ready for those Peghead Nation courses, I highly recommend you check out Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source of new used and vintage stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, violins, mandolins, ukuleles, all that stuff. They're going to have the best instruments you can find anywhere. And we're talking everything from the more affordable instruments for people starting out on up through the most highly sought after vintage instruments. Elderly Instruments has been family owned since 1972. And if you can't make it to their Lansing, Michigan showroom, you can see their full selection at elderly.com or give them a call at 517-372-7880 for some professional advice on all of your banjo and other stringed instrument needs. And you know what all these stringed instruments have in common? They all sound better with GHS Strings. GHS Strings is another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, and I'm proud to say they have been made in Battle Creek, Michigan since 1974. And if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll believe such people as J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, and Bela Fleck, just a few of the many, many users of GHS Strings. So go check them out, ghsstrings.com. They have a wide selection of gauged sets so that no matter what you're looking for, you'll be able to find something there. And, and another, I guess, banjo trick that I like is in the, the main melody. I love that. I, I sort of think of it more as a claw hammer technique, that like slow brush. Yeah. Yeah, you're getting a little bit of a rake in there, but it's a slow one. But yeah, it's in there. So yeah, that's. I feel like that's something I've heard good claw hammer players do that um, have that real rhythmic brush so, with their right. So hand. I actually wrote this song on guitar. I was I was flat picking. If you capo a guitar hmm. up to B, I can actually. I'll send you the. Uh, the rough of this. I played it on guitar. <laughs> oh. So you can hear it there, but you can kind of see where it started. And it was like, oh, yeah, you know. Then I had to learn it on banjo later. It was, it's actually not, <laughs> not as easy to play on banjo hitting that. <laughs> Your melody sits really low on the banjo. That's as, as low as you can get. And on guitar, I'm utilizing, you know, you have the low A and the E string that you can grab some lower notes on. So. Mm hmm. That's uh, that was kind of an issue, <laughs> and you'll you'll notice in this one. Here's where it is. You notice I come up to grab those notes because I run out of. 
oh, notes there. Those would have been low notes. Those would have been lower notes on guitar. So that that's that's Got how it. that ended up being what it is. Yeah, so. that's funny sometimes. Yeah. So the next one, goodbye, love, another original and very cool. Welcome to the the string section, which uh, you know, going right from the the Scruggsy bluegrass to this beautiful chamber sound. So tell me how this one developed and. I guess what my main curiosity would be like, at what point in your composing process does it occur to you that you need a a chamber ensemble? (laughs) So uh, I've always liked the sound of banjo with like a chamber quartet. And you're thinking probably, well, where where have you heard that before? And of course, uh, I have to tell you, it's Allison Brown, one of my favorite banjo players. Um, One of her early albums. uh, I can't remember if it was... Simple Pleasures or Twilight Motel. She had some banjo with chamber ensemble stuff that I really liked. I believe there's a song, St. Genevieve. I'm not sure if that's it or not. I'd have to go back and remember the title, but it's kind of a okay. kind of a similar approach. So I've always really liked that sound. And I started I started writing Goodbye Love just as a solo piece. I'm sure you're familiar with Ira Gitlin, the banjo player. Yeah, sure. He had a he had a song called Rosewood and Pearl that I really liked. Let's jump back to G, I think. So he's playing the bass notes along with the melody. And uh mm-hmm. that kind of changed my perspective of what the banjo could be as well. I heard him at that was at Augusta uh Heritage festival that bluegrass week they have at davis and elkins college in elkins west virginia and i heard him play rosewood and pearl and i thought wow that's adding bass notes to the banjo uh you know add, it, it makes the banjo like a whole ensemble in itself so so there was kind yeah. of kind of those both both of those influences going into this song uh you know allison brown playing it with strings and and ira Git- gitlin using all the bass notes so So it's in double C. Kind of the main thing going on is is an ascending uh, bass line in the beginning. So you get that. And then the same thing on the B part, yeah, but descending. So you've got there and it's all you know very diatonic there's there's not anything crazy going on with the chords in this one it's sticking to that scale um but yeah that's kind of the the influence for for how it ended up being this you know bass note banjo approach with string ensemble and then this the song itself i started writing after um i found out uh, that there's this this guy back home here in Ohio, Calvin Mickey. He he's used to run Mickey's Mountain Bluegrass Festival. He doesn't do that anymore, but one of his, I believe they married. Um, I, I think he was married once before, but it was his second wife, and she she passed. And I, I kind of it really bummed me out finding out that she had passed. And I kind of sat there by myself, alone with the banjo for a little bit, and started writing that. Thank you. 
So it's kind of always had that, you know, sense of loss, that sense of saying goodbye. And that's that's kind of how the song developed. All those influences with, with that headset mindset. So Yeah, got some melancholy tones to it. Let's talk about Chris Sexton. He's credited uh, as uh, being the string player for that as well as uh, another track. I- I'm not familiar with him, so tell me about him, how you know him, and did he also do the arrangements for his string section? Yeah, so Chris is a really phenomenal fiddle player with nothing fancy bluegrass band. Oh. I met him at a festival called Mountain Air in Old Washington, Ohio, which has long since not been a festival. I met him there and and saw him again, probably up at Mickey's Mountain a few times, and just was really drawn to how good he was, truly a maestro of the violin, if you will. And mm-hmm. I heard him play, you know, classical pieces. That was that was his their big thing was was nothing fancy would do a a break at the end of their set where they would just let Chris play like classical for like five minutes and then tie it into something cheesy bluegrass like <laughs> Orange Blossom special. Like, you know, that was yeah. that was their shtick. And but his his classical stuff was phenomenal and and I knew he also played viola and cello and assumed that he could also play uh, boat bass. I didn't didn't know if he did, but so when I decided that's what I wanted to do with this song, he was immediately the person who came to mind, and I had him do it. Wow, and, that's great! And the the string arrangements are entirely his creation. I didn't have any say of what he played, except for maybe two runs in each song, or at least "Goodbye Love." I had like two little things I wanted him to do. So, but, mm-hmm. but the rest was up to Chris, and he came prepared. He he, sh- he showed up with sheets of music for every part everything printed out in finale like really nice nicely printed i really should get copies of that off of him so that i could maybe perform this live one day with a with a group yeah so yeah just to have would be yeah just to have it would be useful yeah and um you know i love how the tune develops the that string breakdown you call it double timed banjo but like the accelerated banjo at the end yeah yeah, it gives us some nice direction too very nice o'connell street let's talk about that is that is that technically a jig or is that like a different type of I would guess it's a jig. Six eight it's a Irish. Six, eight. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not up on my Irish lingo. <laughs> I, I would like to spend a lot of time learning more Irish music, jigs and reels and whatnot. So, so I think the the biggest question people might have about this is that uh, you're playing penny whistle on this. <laughs> I am actually. Which, which to me, I just assume that's maybe what you do when the banjo gets too heavy or something <laughs> like that, and you need no you need to so, take a load off. So I, I really. I, I had an interest in Penny Whistle. There was a local band 
in this area called Cabin Fever. And Richard Pollock plays banjo with them. And he's he's a great claw hammer banjo player. He also plays a little bit of three finger, but but he also played the penny whistle. And I was like, oh man, I, lo I love that sound. So I, I heard him play penny whistle once and I decided, man, like I'd like to get one. So I got a real cheap plastic penny whistle and, and, and played on it some and kind of enjoyed it. And then when it came time to record this album, I thought, you know, should I, should I just hire somebody like Jeff Taylor who really knows how to play the penny whistle or should I try to do it? <laughs> so, so the, the penny whistle part I actually recorded here in my basement. Uh, I didn't okay. credit that in the album. I didn't think it was necessary, <laughs> but, but the rest <laughs> of it was recorded at Scott's except for Chris Brown's drum part. But anyway, the, uh, the penny whistle parts I recorded here in the basement with, with this penny whistle, I bought a nice one. I think it was like $135. It's a Killarney. Oh, wow. Killarney penny whistle yeah. in the key of D. So, yeah, I, I'm not good at it. it. It took a lot of work to get the, the cut that you heard on the album. I'm not going to lie. I thought it would be kind of easy to do it, you know, what I wanted to do. And then I was like, no, this this is really hard. This is a serious little instrument, so... Well, you were doing a lot of like the scooped bent notes yeah, so. and stuff, so that takes a lot of control, right? Let me warm it up real quick. So yeah, you're just lifting a finger off of the... Uh... <laughs> I'm not good at this, I'm telling you. And then the other the other trick was was near the end. I have I have all of the holes covered on the penny whistle, and I slightly cover the the tip the the exit up to get one lower yeah, note. Yeah. So, um, huh. I practiced a lot for the part that you heard, and I'm definitely out of practice because I haven't played since. So that's that's been about a year, but I, I keep it here at my my uh, control station desk here. So. It, it sits on the there's desk. not like a there's not like a walnut valley uh high d penny whistle comp competition no that you're gonna and, enter? and if there was i wouldn't enter it so <laughs> <laughs> i am not good at it it's very hard i thought it thought it would be much easier well you weren't doing anything too crazy but i think it served the the piece of music well and, on the album, and so. i think that was so the intent I, in, in retrospect i probably should have just hired jeff taylor to do it and been done with it. <laughs> so. The next one, another uh, called One Small Step, another really cool original tune. And um, I guess maybe, you know, I, I could have asked this about any of your original pieces, but I'll just do it now. I would love to hear about your composing style and how tunes come about. I mean, we heard a little bit about uh, the piece you wrote for your friend's wife. So I, I think I have a a clue on that one, but in, in general, are there similar situations that bring most of these pieces to life? Uh, no, not always. Sometimes the melody just comes to me. Sometimes it's like I'm in a certain mood or place in, in my, in my head where it's, you know, that dictates what sound is coming out, you know? So like once, one small step was actually the first song I ever wrote and that I recorded it. Uh, with my local bluegrass band Almost Famous on our first album, which uh, Brian Abercrombie played guitar with that band. Um, wanted to call the album One Small Step, and I had an untitled instrumental, and it took on that title. So that's how it 
got the name, and it just sort of came. I, I had tab edit software. Uh, I was learning, you know, off of banjo hangout tabs, some some new tunes, and then I, I got to learn, you know, how to manipulate the tab, how to write my own tab. And I was probably 14. I might have been 13, uh, and I started writing one in C minor because that's what nerdy banjo kids do, right? So. So I did. Yeah. I did, and, and it, it's it's kind of Celticy, um, except for the bridge, which I wrote years later. Um, it's very klezmer feeling. So somewhere, in, yeah, somewhere exactly, in, somewhere in that vein of Celtic klezmer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that genre exists, but it's this song. <laughs> yeah, it does now. Yeah, we got bluegrass penny whistle and Celtic klezmer banjo <laughs> tunes. It's 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 all it's good. Odd. I guess in in that. With that in mind, you you have a lot of those Irish style ornamental triplet on a single string. Yeah, um, I, do you I, that, do those? That probably in ends like up a, in all of my writing. You've probably noticed that across <laughs> a lot of my original stuff. I really love Celtic music. I love the way it sounds. Love the way it makes you feel. So, I really should spend like a good deep dive learning a lot of traditional jigs and reels and and spending a lot more time studying, you know, the difference between Irish and Cape Breton. And I think there's, there's another style I'm missing Irish, Scottish, Cape Breton. So I'd really like well, Cape Breton's Canadian, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's my understanding is but it's there's all, kind it's of all, those, those three versions bit, though, yeah. of, of Celtic music all can, you know, be attributed to one one of those areas. So, so when you're doing those ornaments, are you doing what I consider to be like a Ryan Cavanaugh technique of the the forward roll all on one string? Is that how you do yours? Yeah. So yeah, in in the case of like one small step there, the bridge. That's to the F minor chord. C minor. G chord. Yeah, that's a thumb index middle thumb. Yeah, cool. Yep, that's what's exactly what's happening there. And then the last solo before the group comes in with the with the melody has some really cool like arpeggio triplet patterns too. Do you happen to remember? I don't what know those that are? I those, do. Those sounded um, pretty interesting. I don't know that I do. You, you might have to pipe it in. been in that vein uh, in that vein and those are forward rolls two of them yeah. on a C minor chord up the neck and then a thumb hitting the uh, the last note there on the first string on the uh, last fret there the C note yeah way up there so that's what's going on there, and then down to the A flat, B flat, C minor. So that's probably that might have been the one you were talking about. I'm not sure. So, yeah, 
That's some like shred, uh, it's shred guitar. It's a little shreddy right there. Yeah, it's a little shreddy. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds really cool. I love it. What's the next one? Take Me Home Country Roads. So this is, everyone knows this one. It's a popular common tune, but played, I would say, in a pretty uncommon type of way. first thing people notice is probably like the the deep baritone vocal it's uh elliot park so introduce us to elliot oh man elliot is one of the most awesome songwriters uh he wrote that that song i loved her first that is often used at weddings as a father-daughter dance that that was a that was a big hit for him um and then i first heard of him with the song the soldier in the oak which i recorded with almost famous in 2017 or 18, one of those years on our Gone Too Far album. Um, but yeah, this just his songwriting was was super great. My wife actually first heard him on Pandora, and she was like, "Hey, you got to hear this song. It's really great." And I was like, "Wow, this is a great song. It's called The Soldier in the Oak, and it tells a story about an oak tree that was planted, and a rebel soldier when he's dying, he sets his rifle on this this tree and lays down." to rest he's got a bullet in his heart and he, he dies there at the base of the tree and it bends the tree over and it grows into this big wooden arch um and he's the tree's basically telling the story it's from the perspective of the tree and he's saying you know i'm i'm never going to reach my my dreams of being strong and tall like like all the other trees want to be um and then they end up coming in and specifically felling this tree to use it as a uh, a wooden arch to hold a bell in a in a church cathedral. So he says he's high above his dreams of long ago. Just really, <laughs> really great songwriting. And uh, yeah. my, my wife pointed that song out to me, and, and I reached out to Elliot, and I was like, hey, would you, would you care if I recorded this song? He was like, yeah, sure. You know, and I went through Harry Fox Agency and paid for it, you know, did it the right way. So um, we kind of started up a relationship after that, and I said, hey, if you ever want banjo on anything, I'd love to record on your stuff. So he sent me a few things, and I've put banjo to it uh, over the years. Oh, very cool! One of one of which is called uh, "Baby Snake." It's a it's a kid song. He's gotten into writing kid songs lately. "Baby Snake." They made a really cute stop motion video for. It's had over a million views. It's my most my most watched content, and it's not even mine. So. Oh, that's great! <laughs> yeah, though. That's great. How so. cool! In in my mind, the more kids who can start hearing banjo however it happens the better you know i i would joke with elliot i don't know if i've told him this but if if he hears this i would joke with him that you know baby snake he missed it by that much you know baby shark has eight billion views on youtube now (laughs) just just that close (laughs) which one came first Uh, you know i don't know so (laughs) (laughs) i mean it it, it's been a while since i've heard the original version back to uh country roads uh, it's been a while since I've heard the original, but it also sounds like 
Did you take some like chord substitution liberties with this one as well? Um, no, I think it, it sticks to the chords. It's in a, I think it's in a different key. I think they did it in A, the John Denver version that everybody knows. Um, this one I ended okay. up, I can't remember if it ended up in B flat or B. I think it ended up in B, which it, I just use a double C tuning on the banjo and tune everything down a half step from there. So that's that's the tuning used on this track, that track. The overall, I guess, idea for this song came to me it, actually in a dream. I had this dream that I was going to record that song and that I would make a music video about it that would direct attention to the opioid crisis that is happening in West Virginia and the Appalachian region, region as a whole. Opioids are bad everywhere, but nowhere are they worse than Eastern Kentucky and West, yeah, Western West Virginia. Spots. It's really bad. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's affected a lot of lives here in the Ohio Valley. You know, some people that I'm, that I'm really close to have lost loved ones. Um, it's just, it's really sad. And, uh, so I, in this dream, it was it was clear as day that I was going to record that song and I'd make a music video. So I'm in the process of working on making that music video next. Once I get this this album out and behind me, I'll uh, really be drumming up that music video, trying to trying to make something there because it was just like, man, this is what you're going to do. Like it was like clear as day that was something I was going to do. So that's that's why I recorded it. You know, the song didn't wow. particularly appeal to me before that. Um, you know, it, it was, it was one I knew it always played. It was kind of like wagon wheel, you know, you got to play it at a party, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> so like you play it at the yeah. party gig and people, people all sing along drunkenly. And, and I thought, you know, it went with, in this dream, it was, it was clear that it would be like this really beautiful version of it. And I thought, man, Elliot would do a great job on that. And his voice yeah, is sure so, did. so weathered and worn. And, uh, I think it was Elliot that, that said it listening back. He said, you know, it sounds like. Because I see the the image you're going for. It sounds like a guy that wants to go home and he can't. So that's that's hmm. exactly I think captures the essence of the song and and the opioid crisis. You know, people don't want to be addicted and they they're stuck. And that's kind of a, a very full circle interpretation of everything of this song. So and and how it came to be. And the video will incorporate some of that, like messaging of awareness yeah i I don't know how i'm gonna do it yet i'd like to pair with with an organization in west virginia that you know fights opiates if they're a rehab center if they're a task force of some kind or you know whatever i i want to want to make it happen so i'll work on that i don't i don't know who i'm going to reach out to but um there's an organization called healing appalachia that i'd i might message well, you have the song done, so you're you're halfway there. Halfway there, as Bon Jovi would say. Got to do yeah. the video. So your next one is is another another tune that everybody knows, but probably doesn't know it the way you play it, unless they've uh, seen you play your version of "When Johnny Comes Marching Home." That's been like a banjo showpiece for you, right, for quite a while, right? Yeah. So I, I first heard that on the Bluegrass 2000 album that Scott Vestal made back in. Back in 2000 or 1999, when they probably recorded it, yeah. And his yeah. his banjo playing on it was was super great, and I really liked the tune, liked the melody, and, and learned it. And then I wrote probably five or six, seven breaks for it, and made it a contest piece. And so it's it's pretty pretty neat for me to have my banjo hero Scott Vestal back on the second banjo on that track, sort of reprising yeah. his role. He he doesn't play it at all the same. But um, I got him playing it again 20 years later. So it yeah. feels good. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So the fact that he is on this track, I guess, is maybe a good segue into talking about the fact that he's the one who recorded this whole album. So maybe talk a bit about what your experience was like in his studio and having him was, is he technically a producer of the album or? uh, Yeah. So what I guess I'll start at the beginning. So this album started as a broken stealth banjo headstock. Um, (laughs) It really did. So I I always joke that I, I didn't move out of my parents' house. I just stopped living there. So all of my all of my stuff sort of stayed in in my room, my old room there at their house. That uh-huh. just the way it was when I left. It's it's probably mostly still that way. <laughs> I should probably just a time capsule. Probably take care of that. But anyway, in the corner of the room, I, I I had played a stealth banjo for three or four years until I won this this ohm that I that I've played pretty much every day since I got it at Winfield two thousand eight. Um, but that stealth I had in an instrument stand in the corner of the room. And it kind of just stayed there at, at the house. And if I ever wanted it, I could go get it. And it, while I was visiting my parents, I could always go grab it and, and play mm-hmm. it, you know. So it, I just kind of left it there. When my mom was in there cleaning one day, she said, you know, your room needs dusted, even though you don't live here anymore. Um, so she was in there cleaning, and she knocked it over, and it fell on the floor. And, and she was like, oh, goodness, you know, I'm glad the floor's carpet. Hopefully it's fine. And she picked it up, and those stealths have the really skinny headstock, you know. Yeah. They drill holes through it for the tuning pegs. So it split right across where one of those pegs was drilled through on the headstock. And she was she called me up. She's crying. And I'm like, what's what's going on? You know, is, is everybody okay? She's like, I broke your banjo. Right. And I was <laughs> I was like, Mom, it's okay. It'll be fine. Like, it's just a thing, you know? I was so worried that yeah. you know, somebody had been hurt or something Yeah, awful something happened, happened to your dad. Or, yeah. yeah, like, I had no idea. She was just a mess. So she said, well, can you get it fixed right away? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So uh, I knew that Robin Smith built stealth banjos for Scott and that Robin had passed, you know, a few years ago. And I thought, man, I don't know who who to send it to because I would have just contacted Robin Smith. So I reached out to Scott because Scott is stealth banjos. I'm assuming most people here probably know that listening to this. So I contacted Scott and he said, yeah, man, send it down. I got a guy that is doing repairs and I, for, I forget it, the fellow's name, but he, uh, he repaired it and this was during 2020. So I had a lot of unused vacation that year because nobody went anywhere in 2020. So yeah. it was December of 2020 and Scott said, hey, you know, do you want me to ship your banjo back to you now that it's fixed? And I said, no. I said, I've got all this unused vacation. If I don't use it, I lose it. So I took off work a few days. I went down with David Mayfield, and we hung out in, in Nashville, and he, he showed me around where he used to live. And we uh, we stopped in at Scott's, and, and I grabbed the stealth, stealth banjo and was playing it. And he was like, hey, man, go in go in that booth over there because it's, it's right right at his house, the uh, – the studio mm. it's in the basement of his house so I, I climbed in the booth and sat down behind the mics and scott went in and was playing around with his preamps and mics and he i recorded some banjo and uh he he convinced me that i really needed to make an album and uh you know he told me if if i if i recorded it at his place he wouldn't wouldn't charge me to you know negotiate getting the, all the players you know kind of the producer role securing all the talent Hmm. He said he just charged me, you know, studio time, you know, like he like he does uh, for a living. So I was like, wow, that's that's a great opportunity. You know, I don't I don't have contact with 
Stuart Duncan or, or Cody Kilby or, or Byron House, but Scott Vestal right. was. So he, he was like, you yeah. know, we, we worked on, you know, deciding on the cast and and we got the players we did. And man, they are all so good. So yeah, Scott Scott produced it from from that aspect of it. And he, he also engineered it from recording to mixing to mastering. And yeah, he sprinkled magic fairy dust on the whole thing to make it sound good. So let me stop you there, because if, if you are going to a place like Nashville and you're going to hire hotshots who you don't have contact with, what is it about each of those specific guys that made you choose them over any number of uh, extremely talented other people who, who are right. around so, there? So, I mean, there could have been you know other musicians on the album, and, and we, we picked the ones we did. I, I've always loved Stuart Duncan's fiddle playing. He's just yeah. He's the best. <laughs> he's he's arguably the best, and yeah, really, just everything he did was excellent. Everything Byron did was excellent. Cody as well. I, I you know I think that each one of them just had the voice I was looking for for this project. They were all super tasteful. You know, none of them are really shredders. You know, if you will, everything has a purpose. Everything has a as a goal, and that, that's that's yeah. why I settled on who I settled on. Yeah, yeah. James Saliga that plays mandolin on the, the album. He's a friend of mine from Ohio. He was from uh, mm-hmm. like Bellevue, Ohio, uh, Upper Sandusky, somewhere over there. And um, he had moved to Nashville. And when Scott and I were talking about mandolin players, I was like, man, I know a guy that would do really good. And uh, Scott didn't know him at all. And uh, and I was like, man, I was like, he, he really can cut the mustard. So he came in and, of course, we're in the, the first session and, after day one, Scott goes, man, that Jimmy kid's really good. And I was like, yeah, yeah, he's really good. So David Mayfield actually came with me for the recording session as well. So he was in the control room with Scott most of the time. And, you know, so it was me and Jimmy and then our heroes, Stuart, Byron, and Cody. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, how great. And how was Scott to uh, to deal with? Is, was that intimidating at all for you? You know, at first it was, but... When you get to know Scott, he he likes to joke around. He likes to have fun, and uh, you know he, he makes you feel really comfortable. And he's so good at engineering too. Like I, I call him the Cubase Ninja. He's he's running Cubase <laughs> down there. You know, I'd I'd be playing something, I'd mess it up, and he goes, "Oh, let's let's hit that." So we go back and you know punch in punch in my mistake, and and it was it was just so seamless, so flawless, and so fast. He's he's really good at running the controls. So Scott was. An absolute joy to work with, and he's he's been really good to me, even long after recording the project. He's been very supportive of me getting this album out there into the world and letting people hear yeah. it. Yeah, so extremely cool. Well, I don't think we need to go over all the other pieces. Sure. I think we've like talked quite a bit about your your process and how things came together. So, if there's anything like specific that you wanted to say about about any of these others, you know, definitely go ahead. But obviously I encourage people to listen to the whole album because they're all fantastic arrangements, great playing all the way around. And the know. only other notable mentions are uh, bent to fly is a rock song. It's a slash. Oh Miles yeah. That, that's song. definitely a unique one. We should, we should have covered that. We, one. we should yeah. mention that. So it has, it has drums on it. Chris Brown from Sam Bush band plays drums on it. And John uh-huh. Cowan sings lead. And right, oh my who's goodness. perfect for that song? Mama, I 
also, I don't know if you've ever listened to Miles Kennedy, but his voice and John Cowan's voice are very similar. And I thought, man, if somebody needs to cover that bluegrass, and it's got to be John Cowan singing it, like in my mind. Like, yeah. <laughs> little did I know one day I'd do it. So, uh, oh, that's, yeah, that's so great. That's a notable mention. John came in and, and laid down his his lead and his own doubles and and harmony vocals. You know, the, I think he sang an octave above. So it's. It sounds really cool. John did a great job. He's he's, he's truly yeah. a rock star. He comes in and he looks looks like a rock star, and he he, he just absolutely knocks it out of the park. So obviously, sounds like a rock star too. Yeah, he can he can hit it right. So that's that's a notable mention. And then the only other notable mention I, that I'd like to talk about is the last track, uh, Angeline the Baker, Welcome to Beijing. So mm-hmm. little backstory there. In college, um, I was assigned. A roommate at random, and he was from Beijing, China. This was my second semester there, um, and he uh, he and I met. He didn't speak very good English at all, and we had to use a translator nearly every time we talked um, at first. But eventually, wow. eventually, electronic translators. But eventually, you know, we got to. He, I learned what words he knew. He learned what words I knew, and. We we got along really well, and we we roomed together for the next three years of of college. It was it was really great. We we're really good friends. And um, one day during all of that college experience, he was in the dorm listening to "Welcome to Beijing," which was a song they made for the 2008 Summer Olympics when they were welcoming the world to Beijing to their city for the Olympics. And um, I guess the Chinese people really took to that song. The public really enjoyed it, and he he enjoyed it too. It has a bunch of national heroes in in, in the video. You should check it out online. Um, Jackie Chan's okay. the only one I know. So, so but <laughs> but the, uh, the the music video is great. The, the song's great, and I sat there along with my banjo trying to play along with it. So I, I eventually, you know, it sounded so different at first listening to this Chinese song, but then I quickly assimilated it to not being that different, that it's kind of like Angeline the Baker. Um, so it goes from being this really kind of foreign experience to, to being very relatable. And I had the idea of mashing the two together, uh, playing one after the other, and then I wrote sort of a bridge section, and then there's the two songs played simultaneously. And um, long story short, you know, those songs, they... they they came from very different worlds, but they fit together pretty nicely. So, uh, kind of like my cool. kind of like my roommate, and me. yeah. So it's sort of a, yeah. a tribute to him. Um, a good metaphor, yeah. I lost contact with him in 2016. Um, long story short, uh, I haven't heard from him since, and I, I think something's happened to him. I don't know what, but uh, I really I miss know. him. Yeah. So, it's my it's my nod to him wherever he is. So. All right. Um, and last but not least, we have, um, I'm sure I will have teased this in the intro to this episode, but uh, you have a very generous uh, giveaway. Would you, would you like to uh, unleash that? So, yeah, I, I, would, I would like to make the, the album available for free for uh, Patreon supporters of the Picky Fingers podcast. Um, if you would like a physical CD as well, and you're a Picky Fingers patron, there will be code for that too, hopefully. So Keith will provide details 
Yeah, I'll provide details if you're a Patreon supporter. Yeah, love to have these added perks that Stephen is generously offering to you. So yeah, keep your eye out on your Patreon inbox and I'll uh, I'll send some instructions about how to get this album for yourself. So Stephen, thank you for that. That's that's a really generous offer and for sure. Thanks again for your time if, uh, having this chat. If if you if you're listening to this podcast and you're you're not a sub- subscriber or a supporter of Keith's Patreon, please go on there and do that. He's producing great content, capturing interviews with banjo players and, and archiving those conversations and in a place that can be enjoyed for generations. So please, please, please support the, the podcast. Couldn't have said it better myself. Hey, remind people how to uh, how to get it if they're not doing the Patreon thing. How What's, yeah, what's so, the website so that they go, go to, to, to check stevenmorebanjo.com. That's the uh, probably the best way to get it. Uh, it's probably also available on all the usual streaming services. If if you're into that, Spotify, Pandora, you know wherever you consume your music, just look up Stephen Moore. Just a little talk with myself, and you should find the album. Um, the physical CDs right now. I think the only place you can get it's on the website StephenMooreBanjo.com. Maybe also through CD Baby. They have a few copies. So wherever you get your music, you should be able to find it. Wonderful. Well, thanks again. Congrats again on the Winfield thing. Congrats on the album. It was great seeing you also at uh, Delfest a couple months ago. Yeah, that was cool. It was cool running into you there. Good to, j- good to jam with you also. Yeah, that was a hoot. That's going to do it for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Make sure you go to Stephen Moore's site and check out his new album, Just a Little Talk with Myself. Or, better yet, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, become a supporter of the show, and get your links to download his album for absolutely free. That's a generous offer by Stephen right there. Speaking of Patreon supporters, extra special thanks to this episode's supporter of the show. That's Lynn DeFlippo. Contact the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for me. I'm heading down to North Carolina starting tomorrow. Come visit me in booth 532 if you're in the exhibit hall. And uh, regardless, I'll see you all next time.